Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is Mailbag Friday, the return of the people's holiday. We're going to take your mailbag questions. Got some Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg thoughts at the top before we get to that. And then I think we'll get to Greg's picks at the end. Uh, Full disclosure, some inside baseball on the podcast here. Uh, I just forgot to text Greg last night, and then it came time to record on Friday. And I was like, oh, I didn't tell him. So I sent him a text, asked if he had some time. Hopefully we'll mix it in there by the time most of you hear this. But uh, definitely uh, hanging in the balance right now. But uh, I will make some picks regardless if I can – pull Greg the meat sharp Jones out of wherever it is he's doing hopefully the back of LBs anyway we got a fun show today I'm looking forward to it if you haven't listened to Weldon and I on Sean Payton and the Saints and some Jackson Dart Michael Trigg stuff that we recorded on Wednesday night it didn't go out on the main feed until a little later on Thursday so some of it's outdated not really a whole lot a lot of uh Weldon recalls his uh, dark eval and uh, kind of the same thing with tricks. I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation. Be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Um, but anyway, let's roll. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox matrix interval, and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Had a 6-3 and three night the other night in college basketball. I see they're just giving away free money on the uh, NBA model that they're just kind of testing out. I was about to say screwing around with. Skybox doesn't screw around, but they're just testing it out and went 5-1 and one the first night they tried it. They had a couple winners the other night too. These guys just print money. We got NASCAR coming up. They're going to have a NASCAR package available. I'm going to get their NASCAR guru on to uh, to have another NASCAR explain it. We could call it explain it to Rippy session, I guess. That would be that would be insulting to uh, the NASCAR guru because I asked a lot of dumb questions, if you remember that pod from the summer. But NASCAR season starting back up. We'll let them promote the package, and I'll ask them about that sport. Maybe I'll make it my mission to learn the sport this spring. So, anyway, check them out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's month-long, season-long, all sports, sports-centric. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all sports. It's going to pay for itself and then some. But uh, if you're looking for something a little more specific and going month-to-month or week-to-week, they can certainly accommodate you there. Use the promo code RIPPY, and you get 20% off. And then whenever the NASCAR picks goes live, um, that you can use the promo code NASCAR on top of that and get 30% off. So be on the lookout for that here in the coming days. Follow them on social media at Skybox Picks. Uh, I imagine not a ton of you who've been doing basketball and football are super locked into NASCAR wagering, but I would recommend you try it. It's a ton of fun. Um, and uh, if those of you that listen to that podcast in the summer, it's uh, it sounds pretty fun. I might try it if I understood the sport more, but you know, take your winnings and dabble into some NASCAR, some raise hell, praise Dale, all that. Anyway, check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. Across from Kroger, go see Greg. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. You guys know the deal with LBs at this point. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week and discounted meats right now. 16-ounce prime strip, 20 bucks, plus a $5 pack of sausage. Just go show Greg proof of subscription or just go ask for the Rippy Rights special and he will hook you up. So, and then go in there and find your own favorites, whether it's uh, all kinds of fresh seafood, crab stuff, mushrooms, 
Uh, I like the uh, ribeye sausage. The filet burgers are always delicious. There's all kinds of great cuts in there. Uh, Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. LB's is so terrific. Oh, if you ever walked in that store and then walked in any other like generic butcher shop or butcher area in a supermarket or something, it doesn't really compare. Greg wants to actually make things great, and he will definitely do that for you. Check him out. LB's University Avenue, soon to have a location down in Gluckstadt in the Jackson-ish area. I think Gluckstadt's about as borderline as it gets when it talks about greater Jackson area. That's out there, but worth the trip. Check them out. That's coming in spring of 2022. So how's that for a tease? All right, let's get to some Michael or Jackson. I was about to say Michael Dart. Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg thoughts at the top before we get into some of you guys' mailbag questions because I guess you could say news broke last night. I wouldn't necessarily call that with the way the news kind of uh, came out, I should say. But there was a report early that I think was not necessarily accurate about Michael, uh, about Jackson Dart uh, being enrolled at Ole Miss. And then I think it was clarified on Rubber Grove. He's admitted, and now it's pretty much full-fledged. He is a student at Ole Miss, unless you can enroll into multiple colleges at once. That means he is coming to play quarterback at the University of Mississippi and will be in uh, Oxford and enrolled in time for spring practice, which I know was kind of the time-sensitive aspect of this, right? If he didn't get in by the ad drop date, uh, it probably wasn't happening. He was probably going to have to wait until the summer if he even ended up at Ole Miss. I think that just would have opened up a can of worms uh, in terms of prolonging his recruitment. Though, not knowing a ton about the inside parts, like the inner workings of the situation, that never seemed realistic. A kid like that's going to want to come in and go through spring. Pretty much any quarterback that's transferring is going to want to go through spring. Most of these summer transfers are kids that stayed at their first school in spring and it didn't really turn out the way they thought it would. Maybe they see the writing on the wall and then they transfer, which Ole Miss may very well still get a kid uh, post-spring at that happening. I wouldn't bet against that at this point, no matter what happens with Jack Abraham, which we can cover here in a second. But um, Ole Miss still needs some quarterback depth in the room. Uh, whatever Abraham's situation aside is, that's the former Oxford High quarterback who's taken a uh, kind of a roundabout trip back to Oxford. Not kind of. He went La Tech commit, ends up at Tulane for a short period of time, goes to North West Mississippi Community College. I covered a couple of his game there, games there, actually. Then to Southern Miss, then to State. Had some concussion issues uh, in spring or post-spring and is now back here finishing up or has some interest, I should say, in coming to Ole Miss. I don't know what the deal is on that, whether you can get there in spring. That's not really the point. Is The point is Ole Miss needs some depth in that room. So don't be surprised in the slightest if they go pick up another quarterback because – as Weldon and I, or Weldon really pointed this out first, but as we talked about a number of different times, very unprecedented that Ole Miss didn't sign a high school quarterback. Whether you think the kid was going to come in and be ready or really be anything uh, in the next year or two, you just need bodies in the room. I mean, there's a decent chance Ole Miss goes into spring with Kincaid Dent, Luke Altmeyer, and uh, Jackson Dart. That's not a lot. Like, that three quarterbacks going into spring, two would have been like, okay, what are we doing here? Pretty unprecedented. But one, I mean, three – is still somewhat thin. And to be completely honest, I don't know what the deal with the ad drop date is. Maybe I would assume Altmaier sticks it out through spring, but I guess that's not a total guarantee. That's just me guessing. I don't know anything. But I would assume he would stick around. But, you know, kids, sometimes you don't know what the situation is. Someone else comes in, they get upset. Uh, you know, a la Tate Martell seems like the poster child of that and goes somewhere else. I'm not saying Altmaier thinks that way or wants to do that or whatever, but I guess what I'm saying is there's no guarantee that he will stick around. I would imagine it's pretty safe he sticks around for spring, but 
overall point I'm trying to make, Ole Miss needs depth there. So they're probably not done. But, you know, with that aside, what does this mean? And what did the Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg additions mean for Ole Miss? What do you mean, what, do, what, what does it mean? It means they got a quarterback and it means they got a tight end. Well, sure. But in the bigger picture, not that Ole Miss is done in the portal, but you're starting to see – you started to see about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I'd say, or at least in the last three, this whole portal strategy somewhat come together. Because if you'll think back what the mood was amongst the fan base, if the Rebel Grove message board is in the indication, it was – well, you better enjoy tonight because this is looking like a mess. Staffers were leaving. You knew roster transfer was in, roster turnover was imminent, uh, even beyond the guys who had exhausted their eligibility or were pretty obvious that they were going to go pro. So, given the way Ole Miss closed during the early signing period, it didn't look like there was much, uh, I guess, direction or momentum. Uh, I know some people hate that word heading into 2022 as to what the team was actually going to look like. Because I think most people would have preferred to have more hay in the proverbial barn in, from the early signing period with regard to building talent toward next year, which I always thought was slightly misguided because how many of these high school kids that you were going to sign in the early signing period were going to contribute next year? Um, now, that's some of it's fair, right? I mean, if, look, if they had got, been able to get Jaheim Otis, they'd have, had, they'd have gotten Jaheim Otis. They didn't get everyone they wanted to, and there were some pretty pretty rough misses late in the early signing period. I think part of that is what fed into that narrative. But anyway, you fast forward from that point, week up leading to the Sugar Bowl, early signing period, that time period to now, it looks a hell of a lot different. And, you know, you hit that weird period after the Sugar Bowl where there wasn't much traction other than coaches leaving. You had Durkin going to A&M. Uh, we can go down the list there. And it's like, okay, what, what's actually happening here? And then you had the Caleb Williams tease for a brief moment there that didn't really ever actually seem to amount to much of anything other than probably Ole Miss doing their due diligence and Williams keeping all of his options open immediately when he decided to enter the portal. And so it was like, okay, what are they doing here? Like, who are they going to get as a quarterback? Are they going to get anyone in the portal? Like, what is this actually going to look like next year? And just how bad could this look in the fall of 2022? But then things started to come together a little bit. You know, if you had – I'm trying to think who was the first one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you had – you know, you get Zach Evans. That was probably the first major one. You had Jordan Watkins right before that. You had Ladarius Tennyson, the Auburn kid, come over and uh, announce he was headed to Ole Miss. I think that was in December. But then you get Evans. Then you get Ashim Young from – Iowa State, and you can start kind of seeing how they're plugging some holes on defense. Then you get kind of the next wave. You get Mason Brooks, which I think for the Western Kentucky tackle, which I think is going to be a huge piece on the offensive line. J.J. Pegues comes back home, provides presumably some defensive line help that Ole Miss is sorely going to need next year. You add Troy Brown. Uh, I think I pretty much just covered everyone there with the eight transfers they officially have in the bag right now. And you're thinking, okay, now it's starting to come together. Now can they get a quarterback? Because that was the thing that I think was causing most fan base angst, the most angst amongst the fan base, I should say, was like, okay, well, who are they going to get a quarterback? Because Dylan Gabriel followed Jeff Lebby to Oklahoma. You know, you kind of sniffed around and got a little breadcrumb when it came to Caleb Williams, and that was right around the time of the Zach Evans thing, and it was like, holy shit, are they going to get Zach Evans and Caleb Williams together? That had never seemed totally realistic. But then – 
it, you know, that kind of goes cold. And then the incarnate word kid, there's never really much serious buzz about him coming to Ole Miss, particularly in kind of the last week of his, uh, in the last week before he was supposed to announce where he was going to go. A word head coach to Washington State, which is where I can't forget that guy's name, but he's the offensive coordinator there. Then Jackson Dart becomes available, and that starts to seem actually pretty real or becomes, yeah, available. He's in the portal. That starts actually to seem real. Now you can kind of see the wheels in motion. And the fact that Ole Miss was able to reel Dart in, because I think Oklahoma was really in play. I think BYU was really in play up until the end. And I think, which we'll get to a little bit more of this in a minute. USC was still in play. Him going back to USC, and I'll explain why in a second. But point being, he had three other places that he could have gone, or two other places he could have gone, and one place he could have stayed. And Ole Miss was able to beat the other two out and you know, kind of coax him away from USC. I don't know if that had as much to do with it as Caleb Williams seems pretty set on heading to USC, despite some reports earlier in the week that he really loves cold weather and cheese curdles or whatever those things are called. Wisconsin didn't really ever buy into that. Anyway, so Miss gets him, and now you get a talented blue-chip kid. He's still a young quarterback, still a young player, that you have at least somewhat of a sample size. Somewhat of a sample size with last season. He plays, plays at USC, so you get somewhat of a sample size. Kind of up and down. Right? He has the bad start to his college career. I think he got picked off twice early against Washington State. Then he kind of comes back and has a pretty – pretty damn good game the rest of the way and it was kind of your up and down freshman year he ends up with nine touchdowns five interceptions I think he had some sort of concussion injury deal at some point in the middle of those Arizona State game looks likely only threw eight times I didn't watch every single USC game this year hand up on that one but point being it's a talented kid it's a blue chip prospect and now you have your heir apparent to Matt Corral you know Arch Manning notwithstanding so now you have a replacement, you got a shot next year, and you've got a head coach who, for whatever you want to fault him for, always gets the most out of quarterbacks. I mean, he got good production from Jalen Hurts. He got good productions from a converted running back, Blake Sims. Whatever that kid's name was at FAU that was the – ended up he started at Oklahoma, got kicked out of school, and then ended up at FAU. He was pretty damn good down there. Kiffin gets the most out of quarterbacks from a production and numbers standpoint. So – You've got something to work with here. And more importantly, you've got a little bit of, uh, you know, we've got some competition. I'm not calling it a QB competition between him and Altmaier. I'll be interested to see how that, like, plays out and how the staff views that. But you've got competition-ish in the room, and you've got a little bit of depth there with a clear front runner to start, which I would put that, obviously, being dark. But beyond that, assuming Michael Trigg shows up to campus with him, which in all by all accounts it sounds like it, you've also got another weapon – at tight end. And the last time Lane Kiffin had a talented tight end in a normal season, the guy won the Mackey Award, Harrison Bryant at FAU. Uh, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was under the tutelage of offensive coordinator Charlie Weiss as well. Kiffin uses tight ends when he has them, right? Kenny Yaboa, I know that faded off in the second half of 2020. He was really kind of, uh, Yaboa's reputation was largely built on. Uh, four really good games, three and a half really good games early in the season. But point being, when Kiffin has a good tight end, he uses them. So now when you take a step back, you've got 10 transfers in total, counting these two, Dart and Trigg. And you look around and you think, okay, they've plugged some holes. I don't think they're done in the portal. I think they need another offensive lineman. 
I would assume they're going to try for another linebacker and probably some more pass rush help. Those would just be the most obvious ones. And then perhaps another receiver and running back. Uh, you know, if you're adding that up and thinking that's too many, they don't have the numbers for that. I'm just kind of guesstimating there. I haven't sat down and actually looked at how many they have in the class. I guess I could do it right now. What? They ended up with 17 high school kids. You get eight transfers, and then you've got uh, – or 10 transfers, excuse me. So that's 27 kids. And then I'm assuming there's a couple – of uh well it's really only seven transfers actually because then by 247 and because of the scholarship deal jordan Rhodes counts it's nine transfers so you got 26 kids there's room for a couple more pieces you're probably going to have the roster attrition not completely done so but it basically adds up i could see them adding three four more guys in the portal i'd actually be shocked if they added another high school guy which is kind of the point in all of this you've seen this plan play out is this going to work I have no idea. Is this portal-heavy strategy going to lead to success consistently year in and year out? I don't know. Is it going to lead to success next year? Who knows? But they filled the spots with good players. They executed the plan on paper. Now, whether this works out and these kids end up hitting and they have the results on the field, there's a lot more that goes into that, and that sort of remains to be seen as well. But they got the bodies in place, and I think that's an important step in all of this because. You know, Kiffin got rightfully criticized or there was a lot of angst about like, okay, well, they just went 10 and 2, but, you know, now what? You didn't do so well with the high school kids, particularly a couple in-state kids in the early signing periods. Like, now what? Like, what exactly are you going to do to fill out this roster? You know, in some ways it was a risky game. But I also think this plays into Kiffin's strengths as well, which is why I think unless some blue blood college job comes open in the next two years and really, really wants Kiffin. And that's not saying that if the next one that opens up, Kiffin's taking it or he's getting it. I think you saw that on display uh, during this last coaching cycle, but unless some situation opens up pretty quickly, I think Kiffin's job is probably his next job is probably in the national football league. I think he likes the player evaluation part of it. He doesn't like the re- high school recruiting sitting in the living room uh, schmoozing ass-kissing aspect of recruiting. And that's not exonerating him or excusing him. That you, To be a good college football coach, you have to do that. And I think Kiffin needs to improve in that regard himself. He's surrounded himself with some pretty decent recruiters so far. So it hasn't been like you know, an unmitigated disaster by any means. You know, this last high school class left something to be desired. But it's been okay. But the point is, I think he – enjoys the talent evaluation part of this and plugging in pieces. Like to me, there's more of a free agency vibe to the tra- to getting transfers. Like I think, and I don't, I've never obviously never sat in on a transfer pitch. I kind of understand some of what the back channeling stuff consists of, but I think there's more of, Hey, we have a spot for you. We think you can fit here. Well, you know, based on what you did at your previous stop, here's what we had in mind for you versus the, huge recruiting palooza and having to go sit in the kid's living room and talk about how great his mom's cooking is and how you're the greatest thing ever. And I'm going to promise you at 18 years old, you're going to be a starter and the NFL and go to the NFL and all of that. I think there's much a more, a much more NFL like approach to recruiting and landing transfers, because I think it's a hell of a lot more about fit than just landing the best talent possible. Now, of course, you want to land better transfers than, you know, some of the other guys available out there. But I think fit plays a role in there. And I think, you know, it looks more like NFL roster building. And I think that plays to Kiffin's strengths. 
So you got to give them credit. You got to give him and this really got to give Kiffin credit. We'll leave it strictly kind of put him in the crosshairs or in the spotlight for right now. He rehired the staff. Like I, I'm not necessarily giving credit for filling out the vacant positions that left, but like you get what, like Charlie Weiss hired, Charlie Weiss hired home run. No, but I could, you could convince me on how it's good. It makes sense. Promoting Chris Partridge from within home run hire. No, but it's good enough. So all of the holes and all of the widespread turnover and attrition, Ole Miss feels like it has a little bit more stable footing now. And I think a lot of that is solving the most important position and actually having a quarterback and getting into campus and enrolled in school and a talented one at that in Jackson Dart. So I think in the short term, you got to give Kiffin some credit. That doesn't exonerate him or absolve, absolve him for some of the lack of organization that went into the early signing period and not landing some of the high school kids, Jaheim Otis, in my mind, being the poster child of that. But even with that being the case, this was always going to be portal heavy. And they saw that to fruition. On paper, they have a lot of good players that I think could play well and fit together at Ole Miss. Again, a lot to play out, a lot remains to be seen. But they saw this strategy out to fruition. I think you have to give Kiffin credit for that. Will this be a year-after-year thing? I don't know. If it is, will it work? Who knows? But does Ole Miss go 10-2 and two last year without the portal? I would argue no. So the portal has helped them. They have a great batting average on landing kids in the portal. And so, you know, I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt in that sense. And so now Ole Miss's roster and prospects for 2022 look a hell of a lot better than they did 30 days ago. And I think you got to give Kiffin credit for that. Now, the people, you know, the camp that was very – incensed about kind of the buzz about Kiffin being disorganized in recruiting and kind of maybe taking a bit of a hiatus because he thought he would be elsewhere or probably sitting there thinking that nah, I'm not sure I, don't, I would like to hear that I think both are true I remind Kiffin reminds me of the college student that like like has his shit together more than you would think probably not studying on Monday and Tuesday nights diligently about 10 days 12 days out before a final but when it comes down and he has a deadline on him, he puts in the work, puts in the time, gets done, and gets a pretty good grade on the test. That, to me, like this offseason, that's what Kiffin reminds me of. We all kind of knew a couple people like that in college. You're like, geez, this guy's a disaster. It's like, actually, is he a disaster? He made what on that test? How? And then you realize, oh, actually, this kid does study when he's sober. Um, so that's what it kind of reminds me of. He's not the straight-A nerd that's going to be meticulous and prepared you know, from start to finish. But, hey, when he has a clock, you know, back up against the wall and a clock on him, he kind of gets things done. Now, would you – this strategy be recommended every year in terms of uh, going this portal heavy and missing on kids, some in-state kids in particular, uh, in the early signing period? Probably not. And I think some of the high school stuff is going to have to get shored up. But they got a chance next year. And that's probably the last part of this before I end this uh, long-winded rant is Ole Miss, if this works – I think Ole Miss probably goes eight and four next year. And you're sitting there thinking, well, they just went 10 and two. So what do you mean if it works? Well, last year they won a lot of close games and they benefited from two teams that are usually pretty damn good in the SEC West. You could even throw in three if you count Auburn being down, LSU, A&M being the other two. A&M not down, but lost their quarterback. And so, and you won a lot of close games. Is that going to happen every year? No. Ole Miss was a couple bounces away from being, you know, eight and four and, 
that wouldn't have been totally unfair with this roster, but to give them credit, they had a great quarterback in Matt Corral. They found a way to win both of those games. I guess what I'm getting at is this could work and Ole Miss could not actually take a step back from in terms of just roster quality and where the program is headed and still be eight and four to where I guess it's technically a two game you know, step back on paper, but you're not going to win every close game every year, I guess is what I'm getting at. So I think they're in pretty good position. I think this dart land, and I think Trey in particular, um, is huge for Ole Miss. Still have some concerns around wide receiver. I think having a talented tight end in Trigg will uh, – I'm curious to see how much that quells that. I don't know if they're done at receiver. Um, you know, you've got Knox. You've got the kid from Louisville. Um, now I'm going blank on it. Good God. Uh, excuse me, Watkins. So, But I still, I don't know. I think you had so much opportunity to have a kid on the roster this past year, step up a receiver, and it just never happened. I just wonder what that's actually going to look like. Like, what is Jonathan Mingo's ceiling? What are you going to get from, you know, Dennis Jackson? And so I think they could use one more receiver. But anyway, that's not really the point. I'm going off on a tangent here. I think you got to give Kiffin credit for filling this out and kind of this coming to fruition instead of it just being, don't worry, they're going to go portal heavy. Well, what does that mean? Now you can kind of see what it means. And they got a shot to be pretty good next year. There's still work left to be done. I think there's still some concern on both lines of scrimmage. But you got a shot. And, you know, I'd be shocked if they went 6-6 six and six next year. But I'd also probably be shocked if they went 2-10. and 10. But they're in the mix again. And they have a talented player at the most important position. And you've got a head coach that has a reputation of getting production at the quarterback position. Really, whether he has a ton of talent or not. Shout out Blake Sims. So, Matt Corral being the other end of the spectrum of that. So, in the short term, job well done for Lane Kiffin. We will see where it goes from here. All right, let's get to your mailbag questions before we get Greg's picks. Ever once Since I started that monologue, we have gotten in contact with LB's Greg. He said he would dispatch in uh, for the people, and so we'll have picks at the end of this podcast. Let's get to your mailbag questions, though, before we get to that. Who is going to be the leadoff hitter today? A little bit of a lighter crowd on the mailbag questions. I don't want to have to scold the listeners, but we're approaching that point. We need content. Let's see. Outside, we'll start with the topical one. Blake Davis checking in. Outside of Cedric Johnson, who do you think will be Ole Miss's best pass rusher next year? Great question. I would think you would have to from within, like someone already on the roster, unless they land someone here over the next couple of weeks or months in the portal, because I think that's a big question to ask next year because Sam Williams, hard to replace breaking news. Thanks for subscribing to this podcast. He's pretty good. But I think part of the reason he was pretty good is because of how reliable uh, Cedric Johnson became on the other side. They really became a nice tandem. Obviously, you know, you talk about the tip of the spear. If you're talking about kind of one, two punch there, it was certainly Sam Williams, but I think it's going to have to come from, like I said, someone on the roster. Like, I, I don't know. Brandon Mack was all the rage in 2020 camp, or I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2019. I think it was last year. You didn't see a whole lot of him. Damon Clowney, a guy that's been in the program a couple of years now. Could you do some outside stuff with Tavius Robinson? He's a little bit healthy, but, I mean, he's at 265. Like, where does Austin Keys factor into that? He's probably – more of a linebacker, but again, this is not necessarily my area of expertise. So you've got some options on the roster of guys that have been in the program a couple years, but haven't necessarily maybe as offered as much consistent on-field production. So 
I threw a couple of names out there at you. I, I mean, there just isn't seen even logical in who they have coming in, right? I mean, I, I doubt you're going to ask Jerron Willis as a, the Leesburg, Georgia kid as a freshman to come in and be you know, a dynamic edge guy. Uh, again, they could land someone in the portal. There's probably someone I missed that I'm not thinking of. But someone in that group, they would really benefit, I think, from uh, stepping up and becoming a pretty reliable force as it pertains to pass rushing. Let's see. Antonio Batista checking in here. Guess on the weekend rotation. We got a couple questions, all baseball related. Here we go. Guess on the weekend rotation. Uh, I think opening day, it is going to be Diamond, Washburn, Gaddis. It may be Diamond, Gaddis, Washburn, but I think the two transfers – um, we'll definitely get the first crack at the back end or the number two and three spots in the rotation. And I think Derek Diamond will be Ole Miss's opening day starter, which does he have a hugely firm handle on that throughout the year? Of course not. You haven't really seen Derek Diamond put it together for a full season. And one thing else I'll point out is Derek Diamond had some arm and elbow issues that kind of just stopped being, I say when I was about to say went away, but just kind of stopped being talked about in the fall. Now there's other ways around that other than the, you know, dreaded TJ surgery so maybe he is healthy I don't know but I think that's certainly something to kind of keep in the back of your mind when wondering about Derek Diamond because you saw him dropping below last year I mean Derek Diamond against Texas I think it was out here in Arlington versus Derek Diamond on you know, Thursday night of Super Bulldog weekend in April was fastballs not really recognizable it didn't really feel like they were coming out of the same hand so I don't think he has a firm handle on it, but I think he will be the opening day starter, and I think they will go with the other two transfers to round that out. Now, will that stay that the whole year? I would bet against it just because that's just kind of the way these things play out, but I think in a perfect world, that's what they would prefer happen. So that's my guess on the rotation. Second baseball question was, what does Elko have to do to get a statue in front of Swayze Field? I don't know. Call a statue guy, a cement guy. They can kind of do whatever they want. I get your question, though. I think he will go down as one of the more beloved uh, players in Ole Miss baseball history just because of what he did last year on one ACL, and I don't mean to be like flippant or dismissive of that. I just – like it is what it is. I thought it was a cool story, um, and I think uh, – I don't know. I think he would definitely be remembered. As far as an actual statue, I don't know. Find a statue guy. Last question. Should I buy baseball season tickets? <laughs> I don't know if it's a troll attempt at this point because – Colin and I, I talked about this on uh, – maybe I talked about this on the pod already, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but Colin and I did that baseball quote-unquote preview last week. We were really just talking about all the stuff fans are talking about, whether from the buy-in aspect of it, you know, what this team's ceiling is versus, you know, will it matter in the regular season and all that. But I just titled it Ole Miss Baseball Expectations, and people were just pissed at the mere notion that anyone would be talking about baseball. So um, – I don't think this is a troll question. Sure, buy season tickets. Or, I don't know, for the anti-five crowd out there, no, don't. Take that money and light it on fire. At least you'll be warm. There you go. I just played both sides of uh, that coin. Appreciate the other two questions, though. Let's see. Keeping it moving here. More receptions next year. Mingo or Trig? I'm going to go Mingo. But this actually made me think about this a little bit more than I like figured I would just trig newcomer still a young player you didn't see a ton of him like he played a decent bit at USC last year but they didn't get into football a ton but again freshman coming in so I'll say Mingo because Mingo was starting to really kind of come into his own before he got hurt and I, that's probably not fair to say that's a cliche 
Mingo was showing flashes and showing signs of like, okay, maybe this guy's kind of figured it out before he had the, uh, I guess that was an ankle deal foot. I can't remember exactly what it was. And honestly, that kid showed a lot of toughness uh, to come back very clearly at less than 100% to play Ole Miss's final couple games. And, you know, I don't know. I struggle with this because given the history of football that I've been around, particularly as it pertains to Ole Miss, you don't really ever have a guy that wasn't like high, like incredibly highly recruited or the other side of this would be like just torch people from the start become unguardable, like year three, year four in. But you do have guys that become good SEC receivers, and I think Mingo could become that for Ole Miss. So I'll give the nod to Mingo, but it wouldn't stun me because Ole Miss is not a, a trig uh, ended up having more receptions, I guess, because one, Kiffin's shown to use the tight end when he has him. Kiffin's really just been shown to highlight the weapons that he has. And if he feels like that Trigg's a huge weapon, you bet your ass he's going to get the football uh, in high volume. So that wouldn't stun me, but I'm going to go with the more known commodity and say Mingo. Poor man's Taft checking in. Uh, I don't understand this Twitter handle or account, but you ask great mailbag questions, so I appreciate it. Where have you been, by the way? Did you miss the first couple of mailbags? Anyway, the year is 2043. You have just been celebrated as the world's foremost cartographer whose contributions in charting cross-state flying car routes has led to the rebirth of the fold-out paper map industry. So... Dumbing that down for us dumb people out here, we're in year 2043. I'm making maps because we have flying cars. How did you get here, and why do you credit your success to Mike Bianco? Okay, this is the uh, the mindfuck question of the week. So we're always good for one of those. I appreciate it. Let's see. I don't know. I'm not very good at drawing stuff in general. Uh, I had my motor skills checked till I was like 12 years old. Uh, like not a good drawer. My handwriting looks like something of a serial killer. Not a great uh, right, not great with my hands. We'll put it th- put it to you that way. So I don't see how realistic this is, but um, hell, I don't know. I don't even know where to go with this. How do I credit my success to Mike Bianco? Uh, I don't know. I drew up a map to try to intentionally get Mike Bianco lost from all the times he yelled at me, and it turned out to be the fastest shortcut between Jacksonville and L.A. So they scrapped I ten and went with my idea. There we go. There's the answer to that question. I don't know if that was great podcasting. Oh, let's see. Keeping it going. Ben Johnson checking in with a golf question. Realistic golf course bucket list. I don't know what you would consider realistic, but I'd like to go like do the sawgrass thing. I would like to do Pebble Beach as expensive as it is. And I'd like to go over and do the Scotland stuff, whether St. Andrews, Royal Dornick, that old Scotland trip. Cause I'm not about to call this affordable. It's accessible from uh from like getting on standpoint, like I could say Cypress Point and Augusta National and Pine Dunes and all of that, where it's like, okay, you're gonna have to actually know someone to get on that type of thing. So like realistic, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do a Scottsdale trip. Um, I play a decent bit of golf, but my like course bucket list in terms of being at memorable places is actually uh, actually pretty slim. So that's a couple. Um, I'm trying to think if I left anything else out i've always been intrigued by the whistling straits kind of vibe up in wisconsin i'd like to do a trip up around there and then bandon of course in oregon would be pretty sweet as well so those are a couple to keep in mind really i'm just your average uh, golfer's bucket list Uh, i think i just named probably the most cliched uh, affordable realistic places but uh a small one a niche one i have is to play every public course in dallas there's like over 100 of them 
this city, this Metroplex has incredible public golf. I didn't know that when I moved here, but uh, man, is it great. And so I'm like 30-ish in. I don't know if I'll even like get to 100 or actually make that big of an effort, but it would be kind of cool to be able to say that. Keeping it moving down here, who's the handsomest? Is that a word between Caleb Saylor's checking in? Who's the handsomest between five, being Mike Bianco, Kermit, or Kiffin? Um, well, I'm going to eliminate five because if you ever notice that his, his pants don't really fit. Call me insane, his pinstripe pants. I've had floated this theory to Chase quite a few times. Mike's week, weekday pinstripe pants – are like a half size longer than the rest of his pants. They are extraordinarily baggy, and I never understood that. That's the kind of observations you get when you spend entirely too much time in the press box at Swayze Field during four-hour midweek games. But what have you. So he's out. Kermit a little older. This is an easy choice. I don't even know I'm deliberating on this. Kiffin. I mean, Kiffin brings four hoodies and changes clothes three times out the course of a game, pregame, postgame. Like, you're putting that much dedication in the craft. You're going to get the Rippy Rights podcast uh, handsomest award. So congrats to Lane Kiffin. Feel free to come on and accept it anytime you want to. Going down the list, we're getting a little bit off of the old Miss topic here, but hey, that's what the People's Holiday is all about. What's the most George Costanza thing you've ever done? Uh, head, to the, uh, head to the throne in the office with my shirt off and clothes off? No, not really. I don't do that. I don't know. I don't really have a... Uh, George Costanza thing. I think Festivus is a great holiday. I'd love to make up my own holiday. Shit, I made up my own holiday. The people's holiday. That's it. I know that was George's dad, but George was indoctrinated into Festivus. So make up my own holiday. That's the most George Costanza thing I've ever done. Speaking of, topical here. Brent Ferguson checking in. Where's the people's holiday shirt? Seems like a perfect time to create them since no one is watching basketball anyway. Buddy, it's not a sports content problem. It is a me not knowing graphic design and me actually getting on top of things problem, which is a big, big problem. But uh, I think the joke when we started Mailbag Friday was that the shirt should be here by 2022. But uh, all of a sudden, it is 2022. So I guess I got to get those out this year. If anybody has any mock-up suggestions, please, uh, please let me know. So be on the lookout for the shirts. couple more before we get to Greg and the picks. Let's see. I want to make sure I don't miss any which is a challenge in and of itself each week. Here we go. What happens first, an MLS team in Mississippi or an MLB team in New Orleans? This is going out of my realm of expertise, but I mean, I would say MLS team in Mississippi just because like, I don't think MLB is ever going to New Orleans. It just doesn't really jive or seem to make sense, but I mean, given the current state of my hometown, Jackson, and that being really the only major metroplex in the city, I mean, in the state, other than like the coast, I mean, like Tupelo, South Haven, it's not getting an MLS team, I wouldn't think. So I'll go MLB team in New Orleans. I mean, they got the AAA team there. So I guess I'll say that's more likely. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's actually a weirdly good question. I'm pretty sure that I've picked the obvious answer because, again, Seen Jackson lately, good God. Uh, can we get a preseason poll of the UMMC? So we got medical school intramural basketball team names uh, in here. So we have a screenshot of this uh, for our non-television audience. Let's see. A lot of these look like nerd terms, B-R-O-Ts, D-2s, D-4s. I'm guessing that's some sort of uh, M1, M2s. 
I'm guessing that's some sort of nerd term. There's an MIS team. So that's the winner. There's one called Scrubs. That's a close second. And there's one called Hoops of Henley. I don't know what that means. But you get third because I don't know what the other terms mean. So uh, good luck this year. I'd like to see a report back on the UMMC uh, Intramural Basketball League because I feel like that's strikingly similar to the MAIS. Let me know if anyone dunks. Uh, let me know if there's a court storming. Just keep tabs on that and check back in throughout the year. I'd like to know uh, who finishes first and last in that one. So appreciate that. Let's see a couple more here before we get out of here. Or did I? Oh, topical one for you from Jay Robertson. Why do you hate science? So this is <laughs> this is uh, I wouldn't call this an inside joke. This is a uh, you've been up to date on Twitter joke. Yesterday, um, I sent the Thursday podcast with Weldon to Chase who was tied up. I'm sure they had all kinds of stuff going on yesterday, but he didn't, he didn't have time to get the podcast like up and I was about to hit the road for an hour or so. So I tweet, I always try to tweet out the Oxford Exxon link because they one they've done me a huge solid by kind of incorporating me into their network Two, That's far. I feel like a lot of people listen on the feed, even though you can listen to whatever one you want. Rippy Wrights is still there as well. But I list, I tweeted out the Rippy Wright Spotify link just because just to get it out for the day. And I got a reply from a, Mississippi features writer, newspaper guys. This guy's name is Slim Smith. There's no way that's a real name, by the way. That has to be made up. This man's name is Slim Smith. Describes himself as a newspaper man in Mississippi. And he said, this was the reply I got to tweeting a Spotify link in which Weldon and I talked about Sean Payton, ad drop dates, trig and dart. I, it, Slim Smith checking in here with just some dynamite content. I'm sorry, I dumped Spotify. Neil Young, greater than Joe Rogan. Enjoy your horse dewormer with a urine chaser. Holy shit. I, I didn't even know what to do with this. Honestly, I was kind of bored. I was wrapping up the day at work before I had to make this drive. And I was like, you know what? I'll play here. So I just quote tweeted it and was like, this is a soccer and a football podcast, man. People have lost their minds. I'm not going to go on any sort of political rant here, but, um, you know, Spotify, Cool place to access music. If you're making your uh, music apps and podcast apps political, that's probably an indictment on you and where you're at in your life more so than anything. I just don't understand that. The whole, I mean, look, you have every right to boycott anything you want to in this country. That's the most, that's the beautiful thing and about it. Like, but like, I just don't understand the whole boycott X because they donated to X or because they're on this political belief or they house someone with this. I just don't understand that. I mean, if you walk into your kitchen to eat a fucking dull banana, I bet you could find something that the company dull does. That's not exactly ethical. Like I don't understand that. And most people are doing that boycotting stuff while probably wearing some Nikes, which, you know, not exactly ethical how those things are getting made over there. So I just, I don't understand the whole I'm boycotting this because of ex political beliefs, given that most every major corporation and popular company in the world probably does something that's not quite up to standard. So, uh, yeah, that was quite the wild one. So that's what in uh, that's uh, that's what that was in reference to. So, congrats to Slim Smith for uh, boycotting Spotify. Um, wait, count down the hours and the days before they declare bankruptcy. Not really sure how they're going to recover. I don't even listen to Joe Rogan. Seems like an interesting cat, but I've never gotten into the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. To be completely honest, I didn't even really know who the hell Neil Young was until I, of course. When, you, when you're on Twitter all the time, you can't escape the stupid culture war stories. I saw whoever Neil Young is was like, 
pick me or Joe Rogan Spotify and Spotify was like, see ya, Neil. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I understood what he was talking about. Now, uh, enjoy your horse dewormer with urine chaser. I didn't understand that. Weldon did have COVID on the podcast yesterday. Um, but I thought I paused it when I told him to snort the horse dewormer. Maybe I left that in there. So sorry to slim. Anyway, that's quite the way to uh, wrap up Mailbag Friday there. I want to make sure I didn't miss any. I'm going through the inbox. Nothing on email this week. And I think we actually hit all of them for once. No, we got a couple more. Sorry. See, when I did last call, we had two, four more, three here, three more. Excuse me. I can't count. So Brad Mayo, king cake traditional or filled? I'm not a king cake expert. I like the cheap one from the store that has the sugar on it. But the last time I had a piece of king cake, I might've been like 12 years old. We were just never a king cake type of family, I guess. And I didn't really stumble on a ton in college. That's probably not true. I've probably had king cake since then, but I get the appeal of like the filled one being the real one. Right. But I just got the cheap one we ate in elementary school. So happy Mardi Gras. Corey Clark, another MLB question. When MLB expands eventually, which two cities get a team? I keep hearing all this Nashville buzz, but I don't understand the Nashville aspect of it from that's a lot of Braves and Cardinals country. And you're also dipping down into Cincinnati Reds country. Little known fact, when I did the MLB internship, uh, I was still in school. So they get all you up there, like out after like you finish, obviously your whatever year that is a college or grad school or whatever, but they give you an MLB TV account for, to watch your team's games, obviously both while you're up there, but beforehand, and I would click on the Reds games and they'd be blacked out. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell is this? Like, why can't I watch this? This doesn't make any sense. Like, we're not in the Reds market. Yes, we were. You actually get Oxford, you get Cincinnati Reds. It was Fox Sports South, whatever, Fox Sports Ohio back then, now Bally, in Oxford, Mississippi. So, like, Tennessee's dipping down into Reds country, too. Nashville's actually not that far from Cincinnati. From Mississippi, you have to actually go through Nashville to get there. So, you're kind of intersecting three pretty solid fan bases there. Cardinals, huge fan base. Reds, really big fan base, or really loyal fan base, I should say. And the Braves, of course, speak for itself. They just won the World Series. So I don't understand, like, what market share you would be going for there if you're expanding into Nashville. But I guess where there's smoke, there's fire. The other one I would give you is probably Las Vegas. Just seems to be where everyone wants to expand to these days. So that would be two that I would uh, – I would put pretty good money on. And then elsewhere, honestly, I can't think even think of like another one that, that makes sense. Like I don't think you'd go for another team in Texas. I haven't heard anything about like the new Orleans thing. I don't think that would make a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, the MLB kind of, they kind of are where they are. Like it's kind of archaic in that sense. Like, I don't, I don't know what else would make sense. So I'll give you Nashville and uh, Nashville and Las Vegas for the lack of a better answer, to be completely honest. One more question, perfect way to wrap up the Mailbag Friday section of the podcast. C. Gant checking in. Indica or Sativa? I plead the fifth, not a drug god. How about that? That did make me laugh, though. That made me go watch uh, 420 Disaster again. We grew up at my age group, grew up in the golden age of YouTube, 420 Disaster, um, Outrageous Fun. Uh, the Leprechaun video, all kinds of great just YouTube stuff. And my girlfriend doesn't understand any of the references in there. So we've had 
to go through and watch some of the all-time YouTube videos from the early 2000s. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen 420 Disaster, go look it up. You'll either find it the funniest thing in the world or the stupidest thing in the world. That eventually became like the most quotable YouTube video of my college like friend group. Again, not drug guys, just saying funny video. Uh, pass that here, dude. What's up? Um, anyway, that was a terrible impression of that. But uh, yeah, that made me think of 420 Disaster, one of the finer YouTube videos out there on the internet sphere. So with that being said, let's get to Greg's picks. Thanks for participating uh, in Mailback Friday. As always, be sure to send your questions in for next week. Spread the word about the people's holiday, and we will reconvene next week. Here is LB's Greg on some winners for the weekend. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones, fresh off a uh, three and one divisional round for you. I went two and two. We were just talking about it before we went on air. Tough Bills game, but one of the greatest games I think I've ever seen. It was just awesome stuff. Uh, hopefully, we replicated one last weekend, the last weekend of multiple football games for quite a long time. It's been one hell of a ride. What uh, What's up, man? Oh, man. I mean, like I said, we were just uh, having that little mini conversation about the Kansas City and the Buffalo game. And, man, it's just – it's it's hard to swallow a pill after seeing Josh Allen do what he did in the last two minutes of the game. And he's like, all right, so I don't get the ball and uh, we lose? Yeah, man, it's just – and then you got the predictable takes of, you know, mo I would say 75% of the people were like, the overtime rules are the worst thing ever. It ruined one of the greatest games ever. And then you had the dissenting opinion that was like, well, they should have stopped them. It's like, can they not both be true? Like, they should have won the game in regulation. They should have squibbed it. But with the way that game was going, it was the two best quarterbacks on earth just throwing haymakers at two gas defenses. It just doesn't feel right that the second guy never got a chance to possess the football. Just with the way the rules are going in the NFL and going all towards all towards offense, it just doesn't make any sense why two guys in a playoff game can't possess the football, right? I get the regular season. I mean, they have a three, a twelve o'clock, a three o'clock, a three o five, and a three twenty five for a reason. NFL is a well oiled machine. Yeah, have, have, a, have a like, yeah, have a but like playoffs is play a quarter. Yeah, yeah, have a regular season overtime rule, and then like whenever all the chips are down on the table, like have overtime rules. And I feel bad for anyone out there who had any sort of, like, significant change on the Bills, like trying to crawl out of a hole or something, because, my God, what a brutal way to go. Because, I mean, with 13 seconds left, we're celebrating the win. Even with Patrick Mahomes on the other side, I was sitting there thinking, man, maybe Hill gets loose and gets out of bounds with one second left. But this feels impossible even for Patrick Mahomes, and God was I wrong. Oh, man. I mean, I think I, I sent a text message to two different people, and it was like, uh, hey, I, uh, I think I literally sent the text message and said I really like the Bills. And I, you know, like clicked on the message that I like the Bills. And I, I jinxed it. I literally jinxed it. But, I mean, you know, man, that's just a tough way, tough way to lose the game because I honestly think that if you squib that, if you squib that op uh, opening kickoff and it hits the up back in the head, he goes and scrambles to find the ball, and then he downs the ball. There's like seven to six seconds left, and they just can't – I just – I don't know. I, I mean, even if you blow off three seconds, they can't really do anything. I mean, honestly, yeah. if they blow off like three seconds, that added second, they added it from seven to eight after the first play would have had people losing their minds. But to your point, they probably win the game right there. And then the other – I think the whole thing was the Tyreek Hill effect. They were so scared of Tyreek Hill, they didn't squib it or uh, 
they were so scared of Tyreek. But he wasn't even out there. Like yeah, exactly. You were I, don't I guess I don't understand that part of it. But I think the reason they were playing so deep is they were so scared of Hill beating them deep and having just an absolute meltdown. When there's really no reason to play, like, Hail Mary prevent there, all you got to do is kind of, like, basically make two tackles within 20 yards each time, right? Just don't give up two 25-yard plays, and you're good. Like, I know they had two timeouts, but just play normal-ish conservative defense for two plays, and you probably win the game squib or no squib, too. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I totally agree with everything that you just said. And it's uh, – uh, actually, I've, I've done the uh, podcast with the Rebel – of the uh, Butcher versus Spin Instructor, and I was like, I, I love Cincinnati, but, like, if, if uh, Patrick Mahomes' uh, fiancé doesn't spray champagne on the, the – you know, in – and his brother doesn't do the Sean Taylor uh, dance on. You know, I, I would love Patrick Mahomes, but like I just don't like him, and uh, I, I like Cincinnati a lot this week. It's all, it's honestly an incredible like upset that Mahomes is a likable guy because the wife and the brother are just Jesus. <laughs> and so you yeah. know what I mean? Like you would think he wouldn't be quite as well rounded, right? Like he seems like a well rounded, pretty well adjusted, self aware guy. Seems like a nice dude. But like the the uh, his his better half and then his brother that just doesn't compute to me like it. Oh it, man, I think there's a picture on Twitter that that just popped up that was like, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is being humble, sitting in chair, and his future wife is like throwing whatever. I mean, golly, I love Patrick Mahomes to death, and I think he's a great uh, quarterback, and I think he might be one of the elite quarterbacks of all times, but, like, man, you got to get a, get a better feel with the people that you associate yourself with. It will kind of add on your point there. I don't know if this exactly lined up in time, but assuming she popped the champagne or whatever right after the game ended, that's probably happening at the exact same time that Mahomes is sprinting to go find Josh Allen to kind of give him a hug. Or yeah, because you have that Like, tweet. hey, man, and, you know, hell of a football game or whatever. Like, this exactly. isn't the last time this is going to happen. And then his girlfriend's <laughs> up there just acting like a jackass. Exactly. And you have this wholesome uh, NFL Twitter moment between uh, Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes that he's like, Patrick Mahomes like, look, man, I got to find Josh Allen because, like, he didn't even get to touch the ball. And we literally won on a coin toss. And, you know, you got to have respect to that. And then next thing you know, you turn to – you know, Patrick, uh, Patrick Mahomes' wife, uh, fiance dousing the 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 main uh, the main crowd with a uh, a champagne. Hey, man, I just like I said, I like Patrick Mahomes a lot. I just you know, I, I wish I had a little bit more respect for him because I just don't appreciate the people he associates himself with. What do we got going on in the store this week? Been busy. What's uh, what's cracking there? Well, I tell you what, I've uh, closed out. Uh, I, stocked everything up and I got everything ready to go and I, I think I'm gonna head to Oakland and uh the uh the Pegasus World Club is uh at Gulfstream this weekend and uh there's a big horse racing weekend so uh I, I'm gonna uh I'm gonna uh take a vacation for there this we weekend. go you only close like how many days a year like three four well, I mean, you know, uh, the, the store will be open. Well, but no, Greg no, I know, I know. But we've we joked about, like, you close, like, what, like, Christmas Day and, like, two other days. You still go by LB Saturday, but uh, well-deserved vacation is what I meant. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, we try to, uh, you know, do the staples of uh, Christmas Day, Thanksgiving, New Year's Day, Easter, and Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, whenever uh, I can take care of the store and uh, get the store taken care of, I'm going to try to get out of there. There you go. What are, you had a big horse racing weekend last weekend. You had a horse, uh, one of your oh, yeah, horses Gage, running. Yeah. What, yeah, uh, we give had, me a lowdown of what's been happening. Oh, uh, man. Um, you know, um, horse racing is tough. Uh, you know, you take your shots whenever you can, and you try not to, uh, you know, uh, overstep your, uh, your, 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 your boundaries. But uh, we, uh, we took a shot with Game Stonks and the uh, – at uh, the stakes race at aqueduct last weekend and uh you know man she just didn't have any gas in the tank and uh we move on and we move forward and uh we give her a month off and uh man it's just like i said it's a tough it's a tough sport because sometimes you know after a horse has run a really good race you want to take a shot with a big race in the next race instead uh you know, you sh shouldn't have taken the shot. You shouldn't have let her rest up. But, uh, but no, uh, Game Stonks is a really good horse, and uh, we're very proud of her. And, uh, you know, uh, it was one of uh, Mike Riccio's, uh last horses that he found for us, and uh, he recently passed away. But uh, we're going to uh, – we'll take Game Stonks to the moon, and uh, we'll be all right, man. It just was tough whenever you take a shot and uh, – you kind of you, you kind of come up uh, come up on the uh, on the wrong side of the stick. What a what a, was meat sweats ever a real thing? Did we what happened to that horse? Did, so yeah, meat sweats is a real thing. Uh, okay. Meat sweats is uh, a uh, she actually is a yearling right now. She just got done broken. She's in training and she's broken, and she is having a about a two or three month. Uh, vacation before she gets back into training as a two-year-old and uh hopefully uh she'll be running a race here lately in late september to august so um so yeah meat sweats is a real thing and uh hopefully uh she's going to be on the track before september there we go meat sweats or arch manning you decide which one's the bigger deal um <laughs> Oakland, so our, ja our jackson's now. dart <laughs> yeah our jackson dart big news there um, I will have to with it. Let's get into these games. First one we have on Sunday is Cincinnati and uh, Cincinnati and Kansas City. I can't talk today. This is actually kind of this is interesting because this is now since moved as I'm looking at this at about five or six thirty on a Friday uh, evening. It is now Kansas City minus seven and a half. It had been at seven for most of the week. Now you're getting over a touchdown with the Chiefs. This makes my decision even easier. Uh, this is, as I wrote in Neil's picks, uh, hard over brain. I'm just taking the Bengals. Joe Burrow is more fun to root for. It's an incredible story. They didn't even really deserve to win that game last week, right? You get sacked nine times. They didn't throw a passing touchdown. You know, they ran it for 65 yards. But to credit to Joe Burrow, he just kept getting back up and took an advantage of an incompetent joke of a franchise uh, pissing down their leg, that being the Tennessee Titans. I get the money line play. It's like 275. Like, why not throw a flyer at it? But, man, Patrick Mahomes has now gone through three playoffs. This is insane to, 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 to pump up Mahomes here for a second. He has now gone through three playoffs. He has never had to play a road game. And the only time he has been eliminated from the playoffs, it has been by Tom Brady. You might have heard of him. Once when his first year, not his rookie year, but the first year as a starter, in that epic AFC championship game where he never got to touch the ball. You remember the Chiefs actually tried to change that rule 
after that 2019 AFC championship game. And the rest of the league was like shot him down and called him sore losers, which is kind of ironic now. Um, and then, of course, last year's Super Bowl. So you got a guy that's gone through the playoffs three times, never had to play a road game, and the only time he's been eliminated is by the greatest quarterback to play in the history of the sport. It's just – I'm the, the Chiefs are going to be like the Patriots for me. We're always bet against them and end up losing money. But I'm going Bengals. That's my final, final thing. Seven and a half is a lot. Bengals are good. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you look at uh, what Josh Allen did to that secretary uh, in the uh, in that game. You know, unless the uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, pick up some uh, practice squad uh, depth in uh, cornerback and free safety, I mean, I think they're going to have a long night. And uh, I mean, Jamar Chase is no joke. I mean, you know, and uh, it just um, it, it's such a feel good story that it helps with the NFL because. You know, I, I know that uh, Joe Burrow, you know, did what he did at LSU, and that season was just unbelievable. But, you know, his first year in the NFL, you know, he had a, you know, kind of a rocky start. Then he had turned the, um, you know, tore the ACL, and everybody's like, oh, well, you know, it's not the SEC or college football anymore. So Joe Burrow gets some humble pie. Well, Joe Burrow came back from a tore ACL and um, took his team to the AFC Championship and is going into a, um, you know, a big playoff game. And I don't see why not he can't get it done. Um, you know, no, respect, no non-respect to, uh, to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but, like, I think that if Eric Benemy is not the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, I'm never going to watch a New Orleans Saints game ever again. <laughs> but, but with that being said, I'm not going to, you know, make that, you know, you know, just – I just think it, it, it's going to be a really good game. I just think that, you know, with you were saying, you know, the stats are the stats, you know. Patrick Mahomes is, doesn't have to go on the road in the first three years of his career in the NFL. I mean, like, I think he would probably take that. But I just think Joe Burrow is just such a good story, and I think that they get it done. And uh, I like Rams and the uh, Bengals in the, in the Super Bowl. Man, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping you're right. Like, I'd like to talk myself in it. I just – I got to see the Chiefs get beat first. But, hey, we're on the same side. Like, seven, seven and a half is definitely too much. Like, we're snagging at that as we record. I mean, so, I think the I think the Chiefs get beat if they squib that 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 kick, man. I mean, that's just you you think that you know you look at the uh, San Francisco Green Bay game, and you know Green Bay's up the whole time, and you know a special teams play, you know, uh, makes the difference of that game, and you know San Francisco ends up winning, and I think that um, you know certain game, certain things and certain situations and special teams involved I think that's make or break a game sometimes I think you're right too it's just Josh Allen played the closest thing to a perfect football game as you can play I mean they don't the cheat the bills with the way Josh Allen played don't get beat by anyone else in the world that day other than Patrick Mahomes and like you mentioned could have easily won the game like does Burrow have that in him I don't know the one thing I will say to like kind of to I guess, draw the picture of the, uh, the Bengals' path to victory. The, early in that game, because, you know, people got caught up in the last 16 minutes of that game, which is absolutely electric, 15, 16 minutes, so fourth quarter and some change. But there was a lull in the first half where neither offense was doing a ton. If that happens, like the Chiefs struggle early, Kansas City's got – I mean, excuse me, Cincinnati's got to go up 21-7. to 7. 
like you've got to take advantage of getting, you know, I think the Bills ended up getting three stops in a row, Mahomes in that offense, and really created no separation out of it. Like if that lull happens with the Chiefs that's happened so many times this year, you got to step on their neck and twist it. Like you, you've got to get them in a 21-7, 28-7 hole. That's the path to them winning this outright. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, we were, I was sitting there watching the game, and I'm like, uh, they go back and forth and go back and forth, and I'm like, Whenever the 13, whenever he scored the touchdown with 13 seconds left, I'm like, man, for some strange reason, I don't think this game's over. And uh, I think everybody else, uh, after watching that game, you know, felt that to where Mahomes would somehow get them in field goal, uh, field goal range, and they'd kick the field goal and he'd go to overtime, and somehow uh, Kansas City wins. So, I mean, you know, you just can't fault a winner, you know, but. Uh, I love I love Patrick Mahomes and I love him as a player on the field. I just I'm just not a fan of uh, who he associates himself with. What's depressing about being a Titans fan is you look around. They had the one seed is probably their best chance to win a Super Bowl maybe ever. When you talk about entering the playoffs, it's so hard to get that one seed now. And they lose to a quarterback in his second year in a game where he sack of nine times. And now you look around the AFC, in order for the Titans to win a Super Bowl, they are presumably, this is a pretty safe bet, going to have to beat at least two of these quarterbacks over the next decade. Lamar yeah, Jackson, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen. And yeah, we and have just, Ryan Tannehill. I don't like yeah, our odds. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, you got to figure out how much money you just gave Ryan Tannehill. So, I mean, it's that uh, – is that going to be worthy enough to uh, to get you through to that next round of the playoffs? And I just think that um, you know you kind of you kind of uh, sp- spent your money a little bit more wisely. Can we get Russell Wilson? Like he didn't put that on that list of teams in his fake trade demand. Can we? Can Sierra pivot to country? Like Nashville's a pretty cool place. Like <laughs> can we d- get Tannehill out of here and get Russell Wilson? That's really our only hope. So that's yeah, awesome. I mean he, uh, he can wear his own cowboy hat. There we go. Exactly. So get on that. We, Weldon and I were talking about how Russell Wilson just like the most cringeworthy person, like personality-wise, or the lack of a personality. But uh, he could chuck footballs for the Music City at any day of the week. So maybe we can get on that. Let's get to this. I mean, yeah, game. like I said, you're not going to turn him down. That's yeah, sure. no, no. I will welcome him with open arms. I would probably do something crazy like, like I don't know, walk out. Wait, wait, uh, who's his, what's his wife's name? Sierra, Sierra, I don't yeah, know. Maybe you Sierra can music. Start a, uh, yeah, maybe Sierra can do a country uh, an album, a uh, country album in Nashville. And then with the just how big of a dork and like like Russell Wilson is, I don't even know if dork's the right way to describe it. Who's the guy that he, she was dating some rapper or something before, and Russell Wilson kind of like Mr. Stole Your Girl thing to him? That's gotta be the most like demoralizing thing of all time. It's like really like I lost to that guy. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, he does uh, he does play quarterback for a, 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 an NFL team. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a hard, a easy loss to take, uh, honestly. That has been Talking Pop Culture. We have Rams-Niners in the second game uh, starting at 540, I think. Yeah, 540 on Sunday in the late game. It is now gone – this is actually – these have all moved to half point. It has now gone to Rams minus three and a half. Set the scene here a little bit. San Francisco beat uh, L.A. twice in the regular season. They pummeled them in San Francisco early on in the year, which is kind of the beginning of a Niners kind of midseason uh, slump that they crawled out of to their credit. 
And then they beat them when they were pretty much – I mean, remember the, the dramatic Week 18 game, the Niners season on the line had to go like 85 yards with no time. Oh, out. they were in the ground dead. Yeah, they, I mean, the they ground. did that everything Very. but the last bit of dirt spring on them. They come back, they win that crazy game in overtime to even just get to this point. Does, I feel like the smart play here is the Rams. I know you said you're taking the Rams earlier. But I just can't do it to my guys. I've ridden the Niners all postseason. They win that game outright. They beat Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau Field without scoring an offensive touchdown to cash like a 240 tasty money line. I'm admitting the smarter plays the Rams, but I'm just going to ride my guys here. They beat them again the third time. It feels like um, it feels like Kyle Shanahan is nooging his little brother a little bit with this Sean McVay business. And – while I don't think it's – I just – I'd be hard-pressed to see an NFL team beat the other one three times when, you know, they're this evenly matched. But I can't quit my guys. I'm taking the Niners purely out of respect. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm not not uh, respecting – I mean, disrespecting that pick. You know, the uh, 49ers were the team that you did not want to play. You know, like whenever that uh, – whenever we had the first matchup with them and the Cowboys – you know, the Cowboys were like, uh, can we play anybody but the San Francisco 49ers? Yeah, it's and a obviously, uh, obviously uh, uh, as you can see what happened, uh, the 49ers wins that game, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, nothing, take, t- nothing to take away Aaron Rodgers. He's a great quarterback. But, like, um, it just seems like that Lambeau, uh, you know, uh, kind of – you go into Lambeau and you die in Lambeau has kind of died with the whole, uh, you know, Brett Favre and um, Aaron Rodgers thing because I think there was a stat before it was in the playoffs that the the uh, the uh, the Green Bay Packers were something like twelve and one at home or something something pretty strong at home to where they just never lost at home and ever since Holmgren and Brett Favre and everything I think their record was. Something you know miserable. So, man, I, I, I love the the the, uh, the the Rams here. I think that um, with the uh, with the situation of uh, you know trading every draft pick they have to go all in on this uh, on this season, I think it it might work out. But uh, it's just hard to beat a team two times in the same year, much less three times. So I'm just gonna just gonna take the Rams and hopefully uh, they get it done somehow, some way. Rams are better with a better quarterback. Like, I, I'm with you on that one. And what's crazy about that is, like, you're, you've got all this happen. Jimmy G will now – he's one win away from two Super Bowls in a row, and he's got a pretty decent chance to be in two Super Bowls having thrown two career postseason touchdown passes, which is just insane. And, like, there's so many strange storylines to this playoffs. Like, I think if Jimmy G doesn't win the Super Bowl, they're moving on from him. Like, they're going to find a better quarterback, which is so bizarre. Like, I think he's got to win two more times to, like, keep his job. I mean, he'll get another starting job somewhere else. But, like, just a bizarre storyline. But I get both I sides. Mean, that's I think just crazy to me. That, that's crazy how he's, like, like playing for his job right now. I just, that's wild. Yeah. I just – I mean, look, if you gave – if you – give me a, one level up from Jimmy G. Like, slightly below the elite tier. But that team's destroying everybody. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure that every person, every New Orleans Saints fan would take Jimmy G right now. I don't know, man. Jameis was doing it. Like, I, they're, they're, I don't know. I'd like to see a little more of Jameis. I, I well, I mean, you just got to figure out what coach is coming in to, to New Orleans. I mean, like, you know, you don't know 
uh, what that situation is because it can be so many different things. You so know, I think but it if, might be Dennis if, Allen. Man, I just if if if, if Eric Bemenemy has been like uh, passed by every every NFL team that should have given him a job, and the Saints are the ones that finally give him a job. I think he makes lemonade with an orange. I, I just think that he's such a he's that good of an offensive coordinator. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe Patrick Mahomes is that good, and he would be um, uh, bet he would be just as good with a regular offense quarter beside him. I just, I just think that's a good hire for the for for the situation. It'll be interesting. It is certainly the end of an era. It is the end of the playoffs, basically for us. We'll do some Super Bowl picks, maybe have some fun with the props, but we're approaching the end of uh, another edition or another year of Fresh Cuts. I appreciate the time, as always, my man. Check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. And uh, we'll do some Super Bowl props or something Super Bowl week. We've got to get one last uh, Fresh Cuts in for the offseason. Yeah, we got to figure out heads or tails. I think that, like, the main prop bets are heads or tails, uh, over and under in the national anthem. Gatorade uh, color. Yeah, what Gatorade color will the, will the coach be doused in? I think, I mean – We'll, we'll, we'll try to concentrate handicap uh, the, the very essentials of the Super Bowl uh, betting. There you have it, dude. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you in two weeks. All right, that's our show. Appreciate you making it to the end. Hope you guys have a uh, wonderful weekend. Hopefully it's already kick-started. Listen to this with something uh, cold or brown in your hand. I don't mean poop. I meant liquor. But thanks for tuning in. As always, we will be back on Sunday. I'll be checking in with Bracken Ray. Uh, it's probably some Jackson Dart content. I've uh, sent out some feelers today, so no promises for the Sunday show, but hopefully something next week uh, to help you get, learn a little more about Ole Miss's uh, transfer portal quarterback. So anyway, thanks as always for listening. You guys have a great weekend. We'll hire you on Monday.